we should break the word of God, rightly divide the word of truth. And when the word is given and we rightly divide it, then we can eat it. And when we eat it, we shall be strengthened. Hallelujah. When we are strong, as we have seen in the uh, COVID-19, when we build up immunity, when the enemy will come like a flood, God will activate our immune system to resist the enemy. Hallelujah. So, the study on the book of Revelation, particularly chapter 2 and 3, is going to be one of the key things that we'll build our, use to build our spiritual immunity um, as we get along in the faith. So the next seven-part series of teaching on the churches, the letters to the churches, is something that I urge us all to take very seriously. I also want to urge us all to be like the disciples of Berea. As we study, let us write and let's go and do further studies so that the Holy Spirit will imprint the things we are studying because the time allocated in the church may not be so much. We may have a few minutes. You may watch us and listen to us. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you, as he revealed to John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos, I believe that your life will never be the same, and your preparation for the coming of the Lord and to enter into his kingdom, eternal kingdom, will be accelerated and will be more secure. Hallelujah. So tonight we are beginning with the letter to the church in Ephesus. And we pray that God will give me understanding and utterance. And also God will give you also the heart of humility to receive the word of God in faith and to really desire not to be just a hearer, but a doer. Say Amen. So let us read Revelations chapter 1. And verse 9, which sets the tone for our whole series of studies. It says, I, John, who was, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. We desire not to be hearers, but to be doers. We desire not to just hear it, but to understand. We pray that, Lord, this desire will be fulfilled in our lives and perfect all that concerns us as we hear your word, as we study your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, beloved, as we have already been told, the book of Revelation was written by John the Beloved, the same person who wrote the gospel according to John. And he also wrote First John, Second John, Third John, these are epistles he wrote to the churches. But we are reading from Revelation in chapter 1 and verse 9 that, 
He was, this is not a book he intentionally wrote. This is something that whilst waiting on the Lord, while seeking the face of the Lord and suffering for Christ, God appeared to him. The Lord Jesus appeared to him through an angelic visitation and then manifested and told him, take and write. Hallelujah. I pray that the experience of John will be your experience also. When you also sit down, when you are going through agony, don't look for opportunity to curse, for God to curse your enemies. Don't look for an opportunity to just, oh, I want to escape and be happy. Sometimes through affliction is an opportunity to encounter God. And John the Beloved, the Bible said, whilst he was on the Isle of Patmos, waiting to be destroyed, killed or fried or whatever was done to him finally, the scripture says that the Lord appeared to him. When we are going through dark tunnels, when we are going through adversities, may it be an opportunity to hear from the Lord. When Peter and when Paul and Barnabas were in Philippi, in the jail, it was an opportunity to hear from the Lord. Because while they were there, and they were giving praise to the Lord, their chains were broken off, and there was some kind of uh, earthquake, and the scripture says that there was an evangelistic crusade. And the man who was a jailer and his whole household were saved that night. Hallelujah. So when we are going through adversity, it's not a time to just lament. But he says, for the testimony of Jesus Christ, he still stood by that testimony. And then God gave him more of that testimony. And today we are sharing that testimony. Hallelujah. Now, verse 11 gives us an idea of what this whole message is about. The Lord said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What and what thou seest, write in a book. Praise the Lord. That's why we urge when you come to church, what you hear or what you see, write in the book. Tell your friend, write in the book. So whether you have iPad or a phone or whatever, don't use your phone for WhatsApp in church, but write the word in the book. Hallelujah. It's good. God, he wrote it and today you and I are benefiting. Tomorrow what you are writing will be of benefit to another person. But make sure that whatever you hear, whatever you see, he says, write in the book. Hallelujah. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Tartara, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. And what was he supposed to write? If you read cl- clearly, he says that, verse 19 says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So the book of Revelation was primarily to record not just the things happening around, not just the things that were to happen in the future, but the things that he was seeing. Then he also says that it's addressed primarily to the seven churches that are listed. Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Pegamos, Tatera, Sardis, Philadelphia, in Laodicea. Now, I notice that when we are reading the Bible, many times 
we can distance ourselves from the benefit of it. And because of that, the word of God does not have a full or free course in our lives. I urge you, my brother, my sister, as we go through this study, to let the word of God be to you. Hallelujah. Take the word of God as something God is, a letter he's writing to you. Even though you see the Ephesus, and you may see Laodicea, you may see Smyrna, there is what we call the primary audience. They, they were the primary, or God had to use somebody to teach us a lesson. The scripture says that those who, we, we patient, uh, uh, those who through faith and patience inherited a promise, we should observe them, we should follow them. So other people have used uh, faith and patience to live the word of God. They were used for an example to us. We should imitate them. So the fact that your name is not written there, God can write all the trillions of people, billions of people that have passed since the time of John in the Bible. So somebody ought to be used. But his example is something that you and I can emulate. Hallelujah. And it's actually meant for you. So though I may not be the primary audience or the recipient of the letter, but the letter has something to do with you. Tell your neighbor the letter is for you. The message is for you. Don't, and you see, many times when we are, one of the biggest problems we have in church is when people see the letter or the message as somebody else's. So as we are sharing, somebody will be saying, oh, I wish that person was in church. I wish my wife was in church. I wish she, she, my husband was here. This is my son. This is my friend. This is my soul. But the scripture says, we, we, he, the, the, the letter was primarily written to the churches, but they all have different characters, but it was not really for them. And you'll see it as we get along, that it's not really for them. Neither was the letter meant for their leaders. So you have the primary audience, then you have the secondary audience. So a letter is written to the, the, the angel of the church of Ephesus. But in reality... The letter was meant for the church in Ephesus. That's the secondary audience. So it is dated. It's listed, sent to just like a letter coming to CFCC. The addressee may be senior pastor, but the content may affect the whole church. So if you make a mistake and say, "Oh, I'm not," the letter is not addressed to me. You have made a mistake. And if a, 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 somebody is writing to the state of Ghana, and a nation is blessing the state of Ghana. They will normally write to the, His Excellency, the President. But it doesn't mean that that gift or that message is only for the state, the President of the state. The benefits accrue to all of us. Hallelujah. Just as we want to enjoy the benefits, so must the message be for all of us. Hallelujah. So we, are, we have the primary person receiving. Then we also have the secondary people. Then we have the universal so sometimes people may not be around, but years or generations down the line, other people who should also come in to read it, and other people who may be in, in heathen lands may also come and come in contact with this same message, and it becomes their own. They can own it. It's not for just the church in Ephesus. Neither is it for just the elders or the messenger or the angel in the church in Ephesus, but it is for any other person. Then the last category that this group letter is written to is the personal uh, acceptance, the individuals within the church or the individuals that will come after the church, after the, the original people. 
don't forget that we started by saying that the things that are seen, the things that are which are, and the things which are to come. Now, those old people who died in the time of John, this letter at this stage, which is the things that are unfolding, are not relevant to them. But the things that are unfolding are for our generation today. There are things that have been spoken about in the book of Revelation, which we, they didn't see in their time. But God spoke about them. And we look forward to some more. So in our time, we must also own whatever is applicable to us. Say Amen. Now, in the book of Revelation, one of the things we are going to be seeing a lot of, as my fellow brethren also teach, is a lot of symbolism. There are a lot of things that will, God will, some of them will, He will explain through the scriptures. Some too, you may not fully understand. Do not allow your lack of understanding of the symbolism to dissuade you from studying the word of God. Hallelujah. And also, we must be careful about finding the meaning of every symbol in the book of Revelation. For example, you see that in the book of Revelation, somewhere we talk about a man with a, a, a thing with about seven heads. You don't need to understand fully as you are now that oh, the one face was a lion, the other was, he said he was moving in all directions. And you are just using your scientific, biological mind to ask, hey, how can a thing move in all directions? Then you don't understand it. According to the measure of your understanding, you operate at according to your proportion of your faith. Hallelujah. Because, but, but, but Apostle Paul says something in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. When the perfect comes, the imperfect will be done with. So some of the things you may observe in the book of Revelation, as we explain, not all of it will be very explicit. You can't tie it like you do geography. Uh, uh, sorry, in algebra, X is equal to 2Y, and B is equal to uh, this. So, so and so it's called so match it. It's not always like that when you book, read a book of Revelation. But God will give you understanding enough to have faith in Him. Say Amen. So one of the common and clearest symbolism we are seeing from Revelation chapter 1 verse 20. Let's look at it. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sowest are the seven churches. So here we are, that he talks a lot, so he will not be saying that churches, churches and all of that, and angels, but he will be referring to stars, he will be referring a lot to candlesticks. And anytime you see the candlesticks, you know he's referring to the churches. Now, I want to ask to engage particularly the subject of the angels. My little study and my own understanding of this letters that were written. It says, the letter from chapter 2, verse 1. It says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Right. So then you ask yourself, why are you writing a letter to an angel? Not to human beings. So the first natural understanding of angels is the celestial beings in heaven. We know that from the books, from the Genesis, all the way, whenever we saw angels, we know that they have come from heaven, they will go back to heaven. When the angels visited Abraham, when the angels came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels, over the years, over the Bible, you see angels coming in. 
and the angels are visitors or messengers that have been sent from heaven to perform assignment. But does, how does it reason up if a letter is written to an angel who lives in heaven? So those letters are not written to angels who are living in heaven. The cherubims and the seraphims who are guarding the heavens, who are worshipping God. I don't think these letters are for them. Hallelujah. The second category is people who say, oh, there may be angels amongst men. As we see in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 30, he says, be nice to strangers. For perhaps you might meet angels and unawares. But again, those angels are not the corrupted angels. Those are angels who are obedient to God, who are doing the assignments of God. So how would they backslide? And how would they also uh, uh, go through the, the, the tribulations and all of that that human beings are supposed to go through? So definitely, the letter was not written to those angels as well. So they are not, the churches may have angels protecting. That's one side. Individual Christians may have guardian angels. But truthfully, I believe that these angels were the shepherds, the pastors, the leaders, the persons. Every church has a, 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 a the word angels, messenger, the sent one. So in our church, our senior pastor is, will say that the angel. And if you are in a branch or you are listening anywhere, your pastor becomes your angel. In that sense. It doesn't mean that your angel, the pastor is going to be flying in the night and turn white wings. Hallelujah. That's not what we're talking about. Is that the pastor is a messenger of God, sent of God. And re- what it means is that regard the dignity and the position, the, the role, and accommodate. Hallelujah. So, the shepherds over the flock. If you read very carefully, as we were going to see in verse 1 to 7, that these angels were told that they were doing well, and sometimes some of them, if you read the seven letters, there were some that were actually rebuked for things that they didn't do right. The things that they tolerated. So this, these are talking, and they were asked to repent and all of that. So you can see that it is talking to human beings. But you see, it is very easy to deceive yourself. That's why I said that there's a primary recipient where the pastor is the first person. But the next person, the, 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 the larger picture is you and I. Hallelujah. The larger picture is when you personalize the letter. When you personalize the letter, everything there is meant for you. Everything there is meant for me. And I, I read the book of Ephes- the, the, the letter to the Ephesians, to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, believing that that letter is for me. Tell yourself, it is for me. Amen. So you are the angel of yourself. The pastor may be the angel over you. Your husband may be the angel over you. Your mother may be the angel over you. But at the end of the day, this letter and this content apply to you as it applies to the pastor at any level. Whether it's a senior pastor or the branch pastor or the overseer or whatever position that the pastor is over you. So let us get it very clearly. Now, from the structure of the letters that we see, the seven letters, there's a common format. The only exception to that common format is the letter to Smyrna, where it's mainly commendation. But all these other letters that were written follow a format. So in our study, we will try to 
see if we can follow the same format. Usually, Jesus introduced himself with, depending on the relationship he has with that particular church, he introduces himself in a certain way, in a name that is not commonly known to other people. Now, what is that message? What is the meaning of that? It means that every one of us has a unique relationship or must court a unique relationship with the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, your father may know God. Your husband may know God. May know Jesus. Your, your, somebody may know God around you. But you need to know God for yourself. And God needs to know you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. A stranger's voice will they not hear. And I'm known of them. So you have a, a name. The Lord said, and I'll give you a name. And you too, you know the name of the Lord. So he reveals himself to you. Years ago, the only name that the Jews might have known was the name that was revealed to Moses. I am that I am. By the time of Jesus, we are told that God is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At a point in time, God revealed himself as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. In times of battle, the lion of the tribe of Judah manifests. In certain situations, God manifests himself as the father of the fatherless. In certain situations, God manifests himself as a husband to the widow. So it is important that you know, for you to operate in, in God and for the full measure of God, you must know God personally under your circumstance. Hallelujah. Everybody's circumstance, there is a revelation of God that addresses your circumstance. Say amen. So the church in Ephesus had a situation they were in and Jesus needed to introduce himself in a way that could identify with them. Hallelujah. How does he introduce himself? He says, He is the one that holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Hallelujah. What do we mean by this? My mind goes to the book, Epistle of, uh, of Paul to the Ephesians. You notice that the Epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, these same people, this same city, was written and Paul emphasized the role of Jesus in the church. Church without Jesus being the founder or foundation and being the primary focus is no church. The moment individuals, be the angel or personalities or the rituals or other people take over the centrality of the church, then we have a problem. Hallelujah. We all, we need, when ourselves, even with you as a church, as a person, when yourself dominates your life, and your interest dominates your life other than the purpose of Jesus, then we have a problem. So in the book, uh, the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, he is emphasizing that Jesus is the beginning, the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2, from 19 to 21, he's talking about that. So the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, where Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. That's almost the same thing that he's saying, that I am the one. That holds the seven stars. I am the one that holds the seven, uh, the, who works in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. 
I am, I'm, I am operating in the churches. I am the one that holds the apostle. I'm the one that holds the pastor. I'm the one who holds the, the deacon. I'm the one that holds the, the, the prophet. So prophetism without Jesus being central is no prophetism. Teaching without Jesus being central is no teaching. Evangelism without Jesus central is no evangelism. Any role that anybody plays in the church, singing music without Jesus being central is no music. Drama without Jesus being central is no drama. He's saying, I am the one. I am walking among them and I'm holding them. Say amen. Yeah, that's the introduction into the church in Ephesus. It's, he's just re-emphasizing what Paul had told them in his epistle, uh, epistle years before that time. He says, I walk in the midst of the golden stars. I hold all the seven stars. The leaders. I, I, I hold, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of them. It, it means that if, any, if something is not, we are not you, you, you are not, um, uh, uh, if there's something that, that needs to be done, write, go to the, the, the master. About any leader, let's go to the master. Hallelujah. Because he holds him. He holds her. So the introduction is there. And in the letter to the Ephesians, that introduction is very clear. He says, I am the holder. The church is founded on Christ. We sing about that in the hymn. The church is one foundation. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the introduction. So other things may try to contest. But Jesus says, I am the holder of the church. I am the foundation of the church. I am the keeper of the church. If the church has to move, I have to move it. Church cannot grow, cannot be prosperous without Jesus being central. Hallelujah. Then he goes on to deal with commendations. Normally he will introduce himself, then commend the church for the things or give them their, their testimonial. And usually the things that they've done good will come first. So he begins from verse 2. He says, I know thy works and thy labor. which are all very good. There's nothing bad about the works. And thy labor. Labor means effort that they are putting in. Works may just come things that may happen or do naturally. So when you are gifted, it's a work. And you are you operating your gift, it's a work. But labor is when you put in effort, energy, and exert yourself. You inconvenience yourself. Then he says, and thy patience. It means when you go through tests, when you go through trial, because of doing what is right for God, you are still standing. Hallelujah. And how, that, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Standing up for that which is good. When you read the book of Jude, he says that, contend earnestly for the word of God. And these people were doing exactly that. They were standing up against evil uh, uh, teachings and evil people. And you go further in, in verse uh, 6 where he's talking about, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So their, their, their way of worship was generally consistent with their expectation of God. Hallelujah. 
And you cannot, if, if, if a church today had all these credentials, I'm very sure that we'll all be very happy and we'll clap for that church or for that pastor. If you have a church where people know everybody is working, ministries are working, departments are working, people are praying, people are fasting, then people are also working, they, they, are, they are doing ushering, they are doing protocol, they are doing evangelism, they are doing all of these things. And then also they are resisting the devil in his evil ways. False doctrine. They can tell when a false teacher is on TV or radio or coming into the church. When somebody prophesies and it's not in line with scripture, they can tell. Who, which pastor doesn't like this? It looks like a very good church. A church that seemed to be doing very well. And if I was giving the marks, or you were giving the marks, I'm very sure that you commend this church very well. Hallelujah. But the Lord was not satisfied. So after commendation, then verse 4, he gives usually a rebuke or mentions a weakness. And he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Amen. And in this church, that was the only thing against them. We'll come to that. Then, after telling them what was wrong with them, he didn't leave them there. In verse 5, he told them three things to do. Now, this is also a lesson to all of us as we engage offending brother or sister or spouse or anybody around. It's not enough for you and I to identify the mistakes of one another. What is our remedy? The Lord teaches us the example. When he identified the, the, the problem of the church, he says, now this is what you've got to do. And also, you two, you who has gone wrong, when they are teaching you to let us also find a way to admit and to move on. Hallelujah. So we see here, it says three things. Remember. Now this is where many of us as Pentecostal charismatics, we tend to miss out. Remember. We don't like to sit down and to remember where we have gone wrong. We don't like to reflect. So that's why sometimes when you are even confessing our prayers, we like to speak in tongues so that we can wish wash our minds. We don't want the guilt. We don't like to feel bad. So we just speak in tongues. And we'll be walking around and speaking in tongues. It gives us a, a better feeling. But the word of the Lord says, remember. So when you sit down where you were, and you think through how far the Lord has been, yet how we have related, then we sense, we get, come under conviction. The remembrance is a mind issue, a thought. But when it gets to repentance, it's a conviction of heart. And it has to happen for there to be a real desire to turn around. And it says, and return to your first love and your first works. I'm going to dwell a bit on the works and the love. Then he says in verse 5, If we don't repent, I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. We have been told what candlestick is. We are told that candlestick is the church. I was going through this and it just struck me, that, ah, this command, this warning was not heeded to. And you understand better when you look at the, 
epistle of uh, Paul until the time that the, the conversion of the Ephesians to the time Paul wrote the epistle to the time that John was giving this prophecy and what we have today in Ephesus. And I'll explain it shortly. You will see that along the line, this warning that I'll remove the candlestick was not heeded to. And that is why we must pay attention to every detail of God's cautions to us. Say Amen. And sometimes it also indicates it says, I will remove. Which means that sometimes a church's or a minister or a ministry's relevance can be dictated by God. We men will look and say, oh, is this person or that person? But sometimes you can see, say, I will remove. It means that the, the ability to, to say, I have done, I've finished with you. I've done what I want to use you for. Now you survive. Is there. It says, I will remove. And all these churches, the seven churches, we know the history today. They are based in Turkey today. They are all not Christian churches. In fact, as we are speaking now, last week, the Pope issued a warning to the president of Turkey. Warning him because there is a Christian church chapel. The Muslims took over. They turned it into a museum. Now the president of Turkey says he's converting it to a mosque. And it's become a very big global fight. The World Council of Churches, everybody is talking. The man is not listening. Amen. It means that they have been removed. The church doesn't exist there any longer. Now, promise and assurance also follows a warning. It says, if you are able to turn around, remember, repent and return, you'll be, you'll, a promise is there for you. And the promise is to be an overcomer and you enjoy the tree of life. Now, let me end up with this very important part. In the story of Ephesus, you will see some very significant things that happen in the journey. From Acts chapter 18 through 20. I'll narrate the story so we can uh, go and do further studies. Paul was preaching. And he came across people who got Jews mainly who heard about Christ. Now in chapter 18, verse 19 to 20, especially verse 20, he spent a very short time with them. They wanted him to stay. He couldn't stay. So the word came and they were hungry for the word. We're talking about first love. They loved the fellowship of the word at the onset. Then later on in chapter 19, when he came to settle in the city of Ephesus properly, the first thing that happened earlier on was that they gave away all their traditional um, accoutrements in idolatry. Because Ephesus was a city that idolatry was big. There was a shrine called the, the Temple of Diana. And everybody, they sold things and they made money and they did the, all kinds of things, their rituals. So, here you are, after they were converted, they now wanted the word of God. And so they gave away, it's a city in which people get, sold all the, uh, 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 all the idols. Some of them were made of gold, some were made of other ornaments. And they gave it away and they threw it away. They didn't even say, convert it into money for me. They were willing to give away. So they loved the word of the Lord. They loved the fellowship. They rejected evil. 
Then, if you look at chapter 20, Paul was passing by after staying with them for some time, teaching them. Now the church is established. He decided to call the elders from Ephesus to meet with him. So now the church, he has delegated. Other people are looking after him. Then he says to them, the, the way, he preaches the word of God to them from verse 17 to 32. You see that he tells, talks to them about money. He talks to them about salvation. He talks to them about the love for the, the flock. He, talks, he pours his heart out to the church leaders. There is a love for diligent application of the word. It's not generalized. It's specific. Specific instructions were given to the church. And this will love the message. And the final love that they manifested is the love for the brethren. So when Paul was parting with them from verse 36 to 38, the Bible said, and they wept the more because he said they will not see him again. They loved themselves. They loved Paul. And Paul loved them. That was the standard of the love that we are talking about. That go for that first love. That first love was a love of the brethren. It was a love of the word of God. It was a hatred for evil and idolatry. It was an affection for the details of the word of God. And this love was to manifest in works. I notice that the works alone cannot produce themselves. It's love and faith which produces works. If you read James, you understand what I'm talking about. My brethren, today is not to the angel of Ephesus or the church. Today it's you and I who are here. What made the difference between Paul and John? And what has made the difference between John and you and I today? That the church in Ephesus, a church that desired God, today doesn't exist. The candlestick, I believe, was taken. As we have the opportunity to hear the word of the Lord, and as we have Jesus holding us, my prayer is that for no reason should our candlestick be taken. Say Amen. And the way to avoid it is when our love produces works. When the love produces works and the works remain, don't forget, on that day when he's tested, he said in First Corinthians chapter three, our works will be tested. So the love for the Lord will go through to have to produce works. And you see that same works is what is talked about in the book of Matthew, the gospel, in chapter 25. And that is tested. I pray that when it is tested, your love will remain. It will be proven. It will be established. I want to end by mentioning this. You notice that every church seemed to be doing well some way, somehow. But there was always a but. The church in Ephesus was doing well. And we saw the credentials. But like Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. He was a great soldier. Whom the Lord, again, it's the Lord who promoted him. The Lord held his hand. But he was a leper. Tonight, as we reflect on the word of God. And where God has brought us in our first love. And as we seek to remain in our first love. We want to ask the Lord, if there is any but in my life,
if there's any bat in your life, may the Lord deliver you from that bat. His bat was leprosy. Maybe your bat is evil thoughts. Last. Your bat is anger. Your bat may be bad relations. Your bat may be lying. But don't let that bat hold you because he says, if you have to get enter and over, you must overcome the bat. May God help you and may God help me to overcome the bat. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O oh God, for myself and for my brethren, that there will be no bat that will be commendation. Whatever is becoming a hindrance, any form of leprosy in my life, in the lives of my brethren, we pray that through your word, healing will come. Restoration will come. The Lord, we might live and go back to our first love. Manifesting your works, which will stand the test of time. Thank you, Father. And when we call, you hear us. In Jesus' name. Amen.